spiritual discipline of study, and we're emphasizing that for a couple more weeks, emphasizing that for a couple more weeks, and it becomes study when you write something down as the primary purpose. If you memorize it, and you repeat it over and over and over, you take a book of the Bible, take a nice short one like you or something, and memorize the whole thing, repeat it over and over and over and over again in your head until you have every word of it memorized, that is not study. We don't study something by looking at it for a long time or committing it to memory, contrary to what people typically say about like their the stuff for their quiz at school or whatever. When you're studying for your quiz, you, you study, study, think. I, I think I'm looking, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it, right? When you find out whether or not you study it or not is when you take the quiz. 
Now, if you rewrite something over and over again, or you rewrite it in a new format, so you practice problems, right, then that's study. But if you just mentally memorize, that's not study. If you think about it, think about it over and over in all new ways. Jesus said, upon this rock, I shall build my church. Mm, okay, so what is a rock? What does it mean to build something on a rock? What if Jesus is the one who built it? And you think about it all different ways. That's not study. That's meditation. Okay? Meditation is when you take something and you ask different questions about it. You, you, you look at it all different ways in your mind. Study is when you record something. You could do it audio if you're not a big physical writer, you don't spell good or whatever. You can talk into your phone, you can talk on a recorder, you get somebody else to write it down for you. Uh, you could do it with art. So you could study scripture and then do a drawing and maybe put the reference in there or something or not. That has to do with what you read. That would be study because you're putting something out, putting something down on paper. Okay. So we've been emphasizing that for six weeks. So this week and the next few weeks, we have what to really just two and a half weeks. It'll be that Tuesday will be our last day. We're emphasizing study. I encourage you to think of a new way this coming week to study the Word of God. Okay. And that's the spiritual discipline of study. That being said. Either in your studies or just as you were going about your life this week, did the Lord show you something that you'd like to talk about today? Okay. So, I think I've mentioned it before, but I've read through the Bible in chronological order. Yep. And it's a year plan thing. Yeah. So far, I've been keeping up on it. I don't think I'm, I think I'm, I don't think I'm behind anymore. I got behind a little bit, but I fell back up. But something I've noticed through, like, Deuteronomy, Exodus, and that really I heard over and over and over and over and over again was it says, and Moses did as the Lord commanded. Yep. Over and over and over and over again. I kept like I'm hearing it, I'm seeing it, and it's like it's like I wouldn't be surprised if it was over a hundred times. It was crazy how many times I heard and Moses did as the Lord commanded. And what's really sticks out to me with that, and I think I put a little comment in there about it, is, you know, if we could just do as the Lord commands, how much better things would be? Yeah. Like, if we just, if we could be like Moses, because Moses, he didn't even get it right, he still sinned, that's right. why he didn't go into the promised land, but he still, time and time and time again, he did as the Lord commanded him to, and it showed through history how following God and doing what you're commanded to works out in your benefit. I mean, Israel wiped out some pretty big nations because God led them to those nations to wipe them out so Israel can rise. And it was, and it's crazy because they wouldn't be able to do that if they didn't follow God's plan. And even amongst all of the sin that they had, spending all the time in the wilderness, God still kept his promises. And I think we as Christians should be a little more like I guess stern in doing what God says. So if God says do something, do it. I mean we had a short little gospel thing in the youth group and I said a Lord is and Dan said it a thousand times, a Lord is someone who tells you what to do and you do it. And that is what Jesus is supposed to be for us. He's supposed to be our Lord and Savior. So that means we are supposed to do what Jesus says to do. And if we can just be very stern in doing that, even though we might mess up time a couple times here and there. If we can still be stern in doing what God tells us to do, then we can see amazing changes. Good word. All right. Anybody else? Thanks.
kind of going off what Dad said about the story of Moses. Um, everybody knows that only two people made it to the Caleb and someone else, I forgot his name. But He's got his whole, he's got a whole book named after him, Joshua. The whole book, it's really long. Okay, yeah, and, and, and Josh is named after him. Probably. All right, anyway, go. I, I just think um, but I think they only went to the promised land because their time wasn't up, and that they still had, and that still, God still had more ahead of them, and everybody else's time was up, and they had, and then they spent the last forty. Um, Years wandering in the wilderness to finish what God had for them before they all um, went to go live with Him in heaven. Cool. Yeah, and there's an interesting story if you get a chance to read it in the book of Joshua where Caleb comes to Joshua and he's basically an old man, he's like 80 years old. Yeah. And he comes to Joshua and he says, I'm not done yet. He said, there's this area of the promised land that has not been conquered and there's some really big people that still, still live there. Who better than me? Leave my family. If you'll give it to us, we'll go in there. He's 80 years old. He said, I'm not too tired. I'm not too tired to fight. I'm not done yet. And he said, if you'll give it to me and my family, we'll go in there. We'll, we'll deal with those people. And Joshua does, and he does. Great story. And that ties right into what I'm saying. He said, he basically said, I'm not done yet. And, and it was that it was at that moment in time where Joshua was saying, Look, we made a lot of progress, but it looks like some of this is going to take a really long time. And Caleb said, Oh no, I'm not done yet. Great, great analogy. Yes, ma'am. This world and this, week and this day, that we don't take the stand we know we're just safe. How many times do we, well, it'd be easier just to do this than actually just take that stand? Like your friends talking about things you know they shouldn't be talking about, but instead of speaking up, and taking that stand, you take the easy way out. Because you don't want to lose that friend. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to do the wrong thing. we got to remember, we're all going to be held accountable for that. And how many times that maybe if you just took that stand, how different the world would be if you just stood our ground. Accountable for every idle word to come from mouth. That's just talking about the talking thing. But I know you're talking about much more than that. It's not just about what we say, taking a stand. It's about what we do, what we believe, and what we do according to what we believe. In fact, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. So if you say you believe and you're not living according to what you say you believe, your faith is dead. That's not a good place to be. It's pretty ugly. Anybody else? Yes. That's almost the message of that book, really. Okay. All right. So we're going to pray together at this time. Then we have uh, tithes and offerings and a little more worship. And then the kids and the workers will be dismissed their lesson. And then we're going to that, I think, what I, for me, is an exciting message in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Psalm of Moses that God led him to write. So let's pray together. Are we? Would you lead us in prayer? We're praying for you. You're focused. You're talking Dear to God. Father, in your head. I want to thank you for this time together. Thank you for everyone here. Um, thank you for the ability to meet and gather as fellow Christians because some places, Lord, that, that that's not allowed. So I'm grateful to live in a place where we can come and gather and worship you and let your name be known. Um, God, I just pray that everyone here
gets to know you better and we all get to learn and um, pray for the message later that we all open our hearts and open our eyes to see what you have to say even if it's not exactly what Dan is saying Lord God I just pray that you you speak into everyone's life um, pray for Ricky so we can heal up and get back to doing what he likes doing um, pray for my mom because she's struggling too with her healing after her surgery um, again, pray for anyone who's struggling with sickness or health issues or health concerns. But um, you give it all into your hands, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. 
I have almost, uh, it's kind of like post-traumatic stress disorder, but it's post-traumatic spiritual disorder or something. Every time I hear that song, 10,000 Reasons, Sherry and I went to a conference in, um, down in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was the first time I ever heard that song, and it was by the, the guy who wrote the song, and he and his band that, that popularized it, it's actually from London, uh, and he was here in the U.S. in Atlanta, and we heard him sing it. Well, when we went to that conference, what we didn't know, it was kind of funny, and Jerry felt a little weird about it, was it was 99% men. There were very few females there. There were church planters and pastors and like that, and it was from all across the country. So a lot of them came 2,000 miles, and we, we were 1,500 miles away from whatever that is. It's a long way, anyway. And... Um, and when we were in this huge auditorium, there were like um, thousands, I want to say seven or 8,000 men singing that song, 10,000 Reasons. And I have never heard anything like that in my life, ever. And, um, and so it is on now, so I don't know if that's going through. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Not really. Oh, wait a minute. Where is it at? It's gone. That would explain it. That's right here. I got it. Well, that a lot. Yeah, don't take me too seriously until I start preaching. Then, then just get with it, bro. Now you can hear me? It, I told you the thing falls off there. Like a piece of duct tape. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, he was with Verizon, and then he got hired over to the other company. Made a fortune working for both sides of the fence. So this is the second part, part two of the sermon, Checking Harlotry. And so before we can begin, rather than giving you an illustration, I'm going to remind you of the points from last week. That's the plan. So these are the points from last week. Uh, they were, the people in the story, were a people doomed to unfaithfulness and worse, wickedness playing the harlot. And we looked at why that was. Their actions, the tendency of their heart. Moses cited their actions. God cited the tendency of their heart. Their inability to follow the teachings of God, they would be blessed. God would give them good things, but then out of that they would do the wrong things. Their blessings would lead them to worship idols. Secondly, the calamity and catastrophe, catastrophe and distress or evil that would come upon them because they played the harlot, uh, adopted other gods, forsook the covenant, and broke the covenant. And then lastly, uh, we have reason not to do these things. We should choose... Uh, mercy over catastrophe, blessings over calamity, and uh, peace over distress. I want to tell you, if you didn't get this when you heard that sermon last week, and if it hadn't struck you this last week, I want to tell you that that sermon depressed me. Even though in the end we talked about how God has made a way, we can turn back to him, and so on, I thought about how they were living in a day when so many amazing things were going to happen. They were going to get so many blessings, going to promise land, live in houses that they didn't build, harvest crops that they didn't plant, defeat, defeat armies. One man could defeat a thousand. In some cases, there was an army that was fleeing from them, and God, God took care of that army. They were chasing down the army, but they weren't catching up, and rocks rained down and destroyed the army. They were going to have such blessings, and yet they were doomed to play the harlot. And I thought, if it weren't for that last point of that message, that is a downright depressing thing to think about. That being said, out of that message comes God's command to Moses to write a song, a song that he first taught to the young of Israel and then to the rest of all of the gathered congregation of Israel. And that's what we're going to read today. 
Now, I wrote this sermon once earlier in the week, and then I realized it was kind of messed up. And so I began writing it again uh, Thursday evening, and I uh, about 80% finished it yesterday before I had a, a games group that I ran last night. And then afterwards, I realized it was still kind of messed up. And so I finished this writing this sermon that I'm about to share with you this morning at 1030. And I only say that to say to you that I believe that God is exactly in what I'm about to say. Not from me, but from the Word of God. Okay? So if you want to hear something from God, if you want to hear what God has to say, listen to His Word today, and and it's there. And also, I want to say to you that I have not practiced it. And so, because I I usually try to practice my sermons at least once, once they're written, I, I just say to you that I make mistakes. I am a human being. So errors may happen. But if you listen to the Lord, he will guard your heart and he will guide you to wisdom out of this scripture. Okay? It is differently structured than anything that I've ever done before. I am looking forward to the answer to the problem that Moses proposed last week, which is in this song. That's what I'm looking forward to. All right? So grab your Bibles, if you would, with me and go along. And if not, I'm going to read it to you if you're listening online or on Facebook or later on podcast. Uh, maybe get a little excited, say who to holler, amen, somewhere in Ashburn, uh, Pennsylvania, or uh, in London, or whatever. They're going to hoot in a, the next week when they listen to this podcast. But right now, maybe you'll hoot, holler, amen, as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. <laughs> amen. This is God's word from here on out. Here we go, 32. Now we're going to read 1 through 14. All right, we're going to read the whole chapter by the time we're done. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. Remember, this is Moses, and he's crying out, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. By the way, what is the picture that he's painting there? He's crying out to the earth as as a witness, but he's saying, let it fall, let the speech distill as the dew, as the droplets of the fresh grass. What is the imagery that you get in your your mind? When you see, when you get up in the morning and it's early and it's 7 a.m. and there's little glistening gems of water all over the grass and over the bushes, what what comes to mind? Newness, freshness, changes of the seasons, right? Something is coming. He's, what, this song is meant to be something that they should see as refreshing or different from what has thus far happened. Okay, That's all he's saying. Let it be so. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. The Rock! I love that exclamation point right there. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do not thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people. Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. To be made is to be created from nothing. To be established is to be set on a firm place. He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land. And in the howling waste of a wilderness, he encircled him 
He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spreads his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. And you probably, like me, don't know what the word pinions mean. I had to look it up. The pinion is the last part of a wing. Josh and Chris are going, yeah, I knew that. But anyway, so maybe Arden too. Anyway, it's the last part of the wing. It's the far out part that bends slightly apart from the rest. And it says that God carried them on the pinions of his wings. <clears throat> 12. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field, and he made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds of cows and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and rams, the breed of Bashan and goats, with the finest of the wheat and of the blood of grapes, you drank wine. In this first 14 verses, Moses is saying to them, let me tell you something that's different from what you have thus far experienced. Now, they've not gone in the promised land yet. They've not received all the truly great blessings that are there for them yet. So that will be kind of new, but they know kind of what's coming, right? He wants them to receive this song, this thing that he's about to tell them, as something different. The psalmist says it this way, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commands our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Listen to me. If you get nothing out of this, this is what I want you to understand today. This is the only thing that you take with you, that resonates with you, and I will say it more than once. This is the only thing you get. Get this. It is perfectly reasonable to conclude based on at-hand evidence that God is real and that he is the only real God regularly intervening miraculously in the lives of men. It is perfectly reasonable to conclude that God is real. All creation testifies. Study DNA for 15 minutes and you'll go, that's somebody wrote that. God is real. But not only is God real, God is real and he is the only real God. There are other things and other things that people worship and whatever they go after that might yield them something for a brief time. But God is the only real God with transcendent knowledge, with eminent being. He is the only real God, and he is the only one who can intervene regularly, miraculously, and I use that word kind of tongue-in-cheek, in the lives of men. Listen, it's not a miracle when God acts. Whoa! What? That's God's nature. Everybody thinks it's a miracle because we're saying it's operating outside the creation of what God has done, but that really isn't so. It's not a miracle when God acts. Now, God does miracles. Sure, he does things that just cannot logically be explained, but mostly those things are miracles to people who don't know God. This is what God does all the time. That is in his character to act in the lives of men. The at-hand evidence that God is real, that he is the only real God, and regularly intervening what men call miraculously in the lives of men makes it perfectly reasonably understood. 
Notice here that Moses is saying, when they start to kind of wane a little bit, wobble a little bit, and he knows the intentions of their hearts, and he says, ask your fathers. Ask them what God has done. Ask them who God is. And they will tell you. Tell others the thing. It's in the asking and the telling, he says. I'll give you this analogy for a moment here, and we'll use it again later, but I want you to see it for a second. Does anybody know anything about sailing? Raise your hand if you know anything about sailing. Good, because I know about this much about sailing, and I'm about to use a sailing analogy. I wouldn't want to look like an idiot, okay? But I know this much about sailing, enough to give this analogy. When a sailboat sails, everyone assumes the wind pushes the sailboat, right? Well, that's only true in exactly one case. One. And that is when the sailboat is running before the wind. So the wind is blowing from behind. And the sailboat can only travel as fast as the wind is going. That's the limit of how fast the sailboat can go. That's not when sailboats go fastest. Sailboats go fastest when they're doing something called reaching. Reaching is when you're crossing the wind. The wind is generally speaking behind you or to your right or to your left. And it blows and you adjust the sail. If you have what's called a, a triune sail or a triangular shaped sail, you swing it to the right angle. And the wind pushes on that sail and the boat leans over and the boat will go faster than a seven mile an hour wind will move a boat 15, 20 mile an hour. That doesn't even make any sense. You know why? Because the boat is not being pushed by the wind. That's not how it's traveling. A boat the sailboat travels through the water in the same way that a plane travels through the air. Everybody thinks that the engines of a plane push the plane up, right? Wrong, Tommy says, having gone to some aeronautical school in his life. It's not how it works. Lift is created in the same way with a sailboat. The wind blows on the sail and the sailboat moves forward. And what happens is in front of the sail, outside the sail, an area of low pressure is created. And the boat is sucked forward. Not pushed forward, but sucked forward. And so the wind that blows at 7 mile an hour can propel the boat at 15 mile an hour because the boat is being sucked into the vacuum in front of the boat. That's what's actually happening. That's why reaching, broad reaching, or reaching can be much faster than being pushed along by the wind. The asking and the telling, Moses says, is like that. It's two tacks. Reaching this way or reaching that way. You can go very fast. Flying into the wind, you, in a sailboat, you can't go at all. You're in what's called irons, right? You, can, you can't go straight into the wind at all. You can go, on a boat that can swing its sail, you can go almost into the wind, and that's attack. So the wind's coming from this direction. I sail over here, and then I lower the sail, turn some, turn across the wind, and I sail over here, and then I sail over here, and I sail over here. What's coming against us? You can't sail directly into it. You should be doing what it is that God is leading you to do, what it is that will propel you forward, which is the asking and the telling. Let me give you an example in a moment. Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith, without believing in God, without accepting that he is real and that he regularly intervenes in the lives of men. That's what he's saying. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. They were talking about examples of the ancient faith and the faith that would come. The story of Enoch, a holy man who believed in God and eventually would walk with God and never die a human death. That he did through faith. The story of Noah, who was told before ever a drop of rain had fallen on the earth, 
that a flood was going to rise up, the springs and the rainfall, and the flood was going to rise up and destroy everything on the earth. Go build a boat, a big box boat. You won't need a real boat because I'm going to bring the water up under the boat, right? We don't have to propel you forward. We're just going to float just to say, go build an ark, which he built for months, months and months and months. He and his entire family, even though never a drop of rain had fallen. Why? Through faith. Because he believed in God. Abraham believed in God and as an old man became the author of many nations. David believed in God and took a sling out against a giant that was twice his height and had a staff as big around as your wrist. And then, after stealing another man's wife and having that man killed so that he could have his wife and not be found out in his sin... And then he was found out in his sin, he repented and turned back to God. Those are actions of people that believe that God is real and that God intervenes in the affairs of men. In the New Testament, Peter recognized and declared the Christ. He said, we realize you are God in the flesh, the Messiah come to save. And he then repented after denying Christ three times, even after that. The disciples went out two by two, casting out demons, healing the sick, and died for what they believed in through faith. Paul preached the gospel to the Gentiles and was beaten near to death, and one time was actually probably stoned to death, and they all looked at him and went, oh, he's dead, and they walked back into town, and then he got up after he was dead and walked back into town and began preaching the gospel again, that he did through faith in a God that regularly intervenes in the affairs of men. And all of what happened in the life of Paul happened after a man we almost forget named Ananias, through faith, found Paul in a house along the straight street in Damascus and healed Paul's sight as ordered by God despite Ananias' fear of the man who had been taking all the Christians away and throwing them in jail. Ananias healed him through faith. But let's put it a little more in our context, shall we? Through faith, members of New Heights core group prayerfully sought out 10 core values, scripturally based values, and they committed themselves to planting a church like that. Through faith, members of that core group were led to start a church that isn't just one day a week on Sundays, but seven days a week, a church where growing in Jesus is the norm. And through faith, members give tithes and offerings weekly. Through faith, members mark out time to be in worship. Through faith, they mark out time to study together and alone with God. Through faith, New Heights receives this building and everything in it, valued at $2 million, which we paid $42. Through faith, God made the bill to get the electric cables installed on that side of the building go down from $26,000 to $2,600, making it affordable. Through faith, God provided the $80,000 replacement for a boiler that we needed to be able to meet in this building. Through faith, God provided a person of peace to get the new water pipe installed on this side of the building when they crushed it going to the street. And I said, no, you've got to have a whole new water pipe. After 13 trips to the engineer's office, and I said, God, you've got to get this done, he finally said, oh, I'll just take care of it. And I went to the inspector's office, and they, they scheduled it. By faith, one of our sisters, when she was in the hospital, a member of this church, who does not regularly attend currently, when they told her family to come and gather around her because she was likely to never give up, the rest of us prayed for her, and she awoke and was healthy enough to continue to live and do many things after that moment in time. Through faith, God scheduled and rescheduled a Bible study at my house in which a sister was coming and would not have been coming that day were it not for the Bible study being rescheduled so that she could call an ambulance for me when my blood pressure was 32 over 16. 
through faith, God has healed cancer in our midst miraculously multiple times. I tried to count, but I started to lose count. Through faith, Judy, my mother-in-law, went to be with the Lord in her sleep without pain after months without pain, and the nurses kept coming in and saying, don't you want a Percocet? Don't you want a Percocet? And she never had pain, which is what she prayed for, and then went to be with the Lord. Through faith, God has cast out demons many times in our midst here and at the life station. Through faith, God saved us all who are here now and are saved. Through faith, God makes the songs and the preaching of every service we ever have line up, though I don't talk to her and she doesn't talk to me about what songs to schedule. Through faith, God makes all our lives make sense together. Through faith, God expanded the impact of our ministry by podcast to over a dozen countries and the ministry of the Life Station over on the South End, which several of our people work for, to every single neighborhood in the city of Toledo. And now, through faith, we meet the food needs of over 1,500 families a month through a pantry here and a pantry there. And God's not done yet. The ones that I got from the Old Testament were quoted in the book of Hebrews. You may have recognized them, and it says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country not their own. When you are seeking a common country, the kingdom of God, you will not play the harlot. But even if by chance, for a period of time you do, you will then repent and by faith you will be forgiven and restored. It is perfectly reasonable to conclude based on at-hand evidence that God is real and that he is, only, he is the only real God, regularly intervening miraculously in the lives of men. That just makes sense. It is the first check against our playing harlotry. I think when we looked at the lesson last week, we thought, oh, you know what? We kind of see ourselves in that. Yeah, I kind of could do that. I do have intentions of my heart. I do have trouble following the word. I do have trouble in those areas that Moses was talking about. But if you will remember that God has miraculously intervened in the lives, somebody sitting here going, well, he didn't mention my particular miracle because I can think of three or four in the room right now yet. By faith, Amalia and Ricky began tithing before they got married. By faith, Ricky prepared his trailer for them to move in before they got married and then carried her across the threshold, yes, into the trailer the day they were married. And they were already tithing. And then from there went on and bought their house. As a young couple, and their finances have always been okay. And he's off work right now, and right now they're trusting God for the miracle. What I'm saying to you is it makes perfectly reasonable sense to conclude based on at-hand evidence that God is real and that he's the only real God and regularly intervening miraculously in the lives of men and therefore it would be stupid, it would be foolish, it would be insane to play the harlot under those circumstances. And if you will not ask, what has God done? If you will decline to ask, if someone will decline to ask, then they are not interested in God. If you will make your decisions today or tomorrow based on how strong you are, how smart you are, how capable you are, your goals, what you want in life, what you're going to do, what you think might happen, if any of those other earthly human reasons are your reason for making your decision, then you leave yourself in danger of still playing the harlot. But if you will make yourself 
Ask this question. What has God done? That's what's important to me. Watch what God has done. Me telling you what God has done, that's what's important. That's the way you live your life. On the left tack where you can fly and on the right tack where you can fly, instead of flying into the wind, forgetting what God has done and doing whatever you can do, if instead you will say, no, I know what God has done and I know that God is going to do and trust Him, if instead you will say, well, let's see what God will do with this, pardon me, and proceed forward in faith, then this becomes a check for our playing the harlot. But he's not done yet. <clears throat> Moses says that we had better realize that God will deal justice. Continuing in, in verse 15, it says, but Jeshurun, and that's basically just a word for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God, that means he turned his back on God, who made him, and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed the demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. And the Lord saw this, and here we go, here it starts. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their end shall be. For they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not my people. By the way, that verse right there is one of the verses that could give you hope if you're not Jewish. Because him making the Jewish people jealous with a people that is not his people is a great promise for you and I. So I'll make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap misfortunes on them. This is all God speaking. I will use my arrows on them. They shall be wasted by famine, consumed by plague and bitter destruction, and the teeth of beasts I will send upon them with the venom of crawling things of the dust. Side note, if you don't like bugs, you probably better stick with God. Outside the sword shall bereave, and inside terror, both young, men, young man and virgin, the nursling with the man of gray hair. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will remove the memory of them from men had I not feared the provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misjudge. In other words, the only thing holding them, him back from utterly and completely destroying men who play the harlot is that men who have not yet come to him would say, our hand is triumphant and the Lord has not done all this. Verse 28, for they are a nation lacking in counsel and there is no understanding in them. Would that they were wise, but that they understood this, that they would discern their future. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? See, when they were following God, one of them put ten thousand to flight. Well, two. One put a thousand to flight, two put ten thousand to flight. But then when they quit following God, now one or two of the enemy put a thousand or ten thousand of them to flight. The, ro the roles were reversed. 
31 says, Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. In other words, they realize that the, the false gods of the people that were coming against them were no good. Only their God was good. But God wasn't supporting their enemies. He was throwing them to the fire. For their vine is from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters bitter. Their wine is the venom of serpents and the deadly poison of cobras. Is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. 36. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Now the tone just changed a little bit if you're listening closely. In other words, God is not going to be fully done with his people, even those who have played the harlot. And he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? In other words, those false gods, where are they? Where are the false gods of Israel that they worshipped and thought could do something for them, but they could do nothing because only our God is the real God. Only our God is the real God who intervenes regularly in the affairs of men, verse 38, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their libation. In other words, that's a rhetorical question, meaning no one did. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. These things you're going after other than God, let that be your, your salvation. 39, see now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. So this is the message to them after they have played the harlot. He says, see now that I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword, and my hand takes hold on justice, I will re render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. In the book of Judges, God wrote it this way. He said, Then war, new gods were chosen. Then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Galatians. He said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Oh, in the kingdom of God, this we understand. If you will play the harlot and look away from God, if you will not follow God, if you will not remember to ask, what has God done? If you will not remember to tell what God has done, if you will play the harlot like that, do not be deceived. The God of heaven has a sword of his own. And he will bring destruction on the one who is lackadaisical in their following. On the one who refuses the commands of the one he says he loves. Mock not God or pay the price. This is the second check of God that he will deal justice. Now, interestingly enough, it makes it seem like it's all about Jesus. And we're getting there. Ultimately, it is all about Jesus. But don't you understand that this is the way God created the universe. It's not just, they're the Israelites, we called them out, they're a people of grace, going to give them a great land, oh, they played the harlot, oh, smack, 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 wipe out this generation, work with the next. It's not just that. 
This is the way that God made the world work. Are you familiar with the book of Proverbs? It's a pretty big one in the middle. The book of Proverbs is not filled with promises, right? It's filled with pithy short sayings, which means powerful wordy sayings like, that you can read. And they are observations of the way the world works. Listen to these observations, probably written by Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, in the book of Proverbs. I'm reading from Proverbs 22. If you're following along, you can flip there if you want, because we'll be there for a minute. Proverbs 22. And I'm going to read just excerpts from this to that talk about exactly what I'm saying to you today or what I believe God is saying to us today. Proverbs 22, verses 2 and 3 says, The rich and the poor have a common bond. That means, you know, we're kind of alike. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent, that means the wise, the guys making the right choices, sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive, that means the fool, person who's not making the right choice, go on and are punished for it. This has nothing to do with salvation has nothing to do with being saved or not being saved. It has to do with your daily choices of how you live your life. And if you will naively go on and do whatever the heck you want, despite what you see God wants from you, you will be punished for it. Verse 5 says this, Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. In other words, ultimately, you will wind up in trouble if you continue doing wrong things. The child that lies and sneaks and goes behind his parents' back, that tricks his teachers and manipulates everyone in his life, winds up in jail in his 20s, or dead in a gutter somewhere, or paralyzed in a wheelchair, or addicted to drugs. Because they have their own way of living that is perverse and not right, and there is a price to be paid for that, ultimately not to be avoided. 14 says, The mouth of an adulteress that's someone who would lure you away from what's right, and specifically into an adulterous relationship, for example. The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. Listen to 23. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Our God, who is the only real God and is regularly intervening in the lives of human beings, has a sword and will deal justice true. But not only are we talking about in the sense of whether you're Christian or not, we're talking about in the sense of daily dealings. God has made the earth to work this way. The one who works hard yields a produce. The one who is truthful and honest yields a produce. The one who is deceptive, manipulating, lying, cheating, stealing, hurting others, working their way up over top of others, whatever, yields a produce. God is not mocked. He who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. Is a direct correlation with what Solomon understood in the book of Proverbs to say. God is not mocked. Creation is oriented this way. If you do the right things, you get the right results. If you do the wrong things, you get results that you do not want. 
Jesus said it this way in Matthew 3, verse 12. He said, His, meaning God's, winnowing fork is in His hand, and He will thoroughly clear His threshing floor, and He will gather His wheat into the barn, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And also this way, He said, But Jesus said to them, No one ever putting His hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jeremiah said it this way, I, Speaking on behalf of God, I will winnow them with a winnowing fork, at the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people. They did not repent of their ways. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here is the second check against playing the harlot. Understand that God will deal justice. If you are saved and a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you're never going to be in hell. You will not see it firsthand. However, if you want to deal with God as a vengeful God, as a wrathful God, as a correcting God, if you want to deal with correction as set against you like a mighty wind that blows you back in irons, then just forget for even a moment that our God is real, that He is the only real God, that He regularly intervenes in the affairs of men, and that He will deal justice. These are the checks against us playing harlotry. Job said it this way, in the midst of his suffering, in the worst of days, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. This will check your harlotry. Figure out what it is that God would call evil and realize that if you mess with it, if you taste it, if you touch it, if you worship it, if you go after it, God will act. We have a brother who's been a member of New Heights and is a regular attender now, but he's not always there, who is into uh, drug sales and prostitution. Spent 21 years in prison. 21 years. The day they arrested him to throw him in jail pursuant to putting him in prison where he would stay for 21 years. He owned 13 cars. I wish he was here to say for sure he's not today. I believe it was 11 houses. 13 cars and 11 houses. Anybody here want 13 cars and 11 houses? You could sell 10 of the houses, live in one of them, and you probably never have to work, right? You work not for years, for decades. I made that money in drug sales and prostitution. We have a church planter in our association. A good friend of mine spent, I think it was 17 years in jail. When he went to jail, which he went to, he went to jail for accessory and murder because there's a guy in his drug house that he, he had to put him to death because he didn't pay his drug bill. And you can't just be having that now. You've got to have justice. We've got to have justice. So they killed the guy who didn't pay his drug bill. And he didn't get charged with murder. He got charged with accessory to murder, but he went to jail. It was 17 years. When he went to jail... He had umpteen houses and cars and drugs and people that would literally do whatever he told them to do whenever he told them to do it. He had people worshiping him like a god, he and his brother. And then in a moment, went to jail, had nothing. While he was in jail, accepted Jesus Christ, and again, had everything. No houses, no cars, no drugs, nobody worshiping him, but everything, everything, everything. And now, he's a church planter. How many cars? How many houses? I'd love to be a professional athlete, make $12, 15 $20 million a year. 
Do you know what the life expectancy of a professional football player is? It's roughly equal to the age that I am right now. That's their life expectancy. Now they get millions of dollars a year, but they die in their 50s. Life, I'm not talking about that's when they retire, right? Most of them don't play till their 40s, am I right? 30s, pretty much? Google it. If you go after the things of this life, it does not work. So why are people still doing it? Because they do not realize that our God has a sword, that justice is built into the system. How many 20-somethings are in jail for the next 20 years because they thought they were going to make a fortune? Not, pre not preaching about jail. What I'm preaching about is God has set the system to work a certain way. If you can't work it the right way because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then at least work it the right way because you fear the God of heaven who is real, the only real God, and has a sword for justice. And then there is a final check. Maybe it is the most important one. And it comes at the very end of the song. Kind of builds up to it, and then there it is. He says this, 43. Rejoice, O nations. Hear it now. Not Israel. He doesn't say Israel. He says rejoice. That means be super happy. Right? Rejoice. This is going to be awesome. Rejoice, O nations. That's all the people. With his people. That's with Israel. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. That does not sound any better. <laughs> Didn't get any better right there. Right? But that means if we are... If we are suffering, Israel would suffer for their harlotry, right? He says, we will avenge the blood of his servants. And then it gets better. He says, and will render vengeance on his adversaries, on God's adversaries, those who are against God. And he says, and will atone for his land and his people. Atone. Do you know what atonement is? Do you remember I said how that sermon last week was so sad? It was sad because what they really needed was atonement. They had already sinned against God. Moses said, I see you're going to sin against God after I'm gone because I see your actions here while, I, while you're with me now. When I'm gone, of course, it's going to get worse. They were poised. The intentions of their heart were to sin against God. Moses said on behalf of God, I see the intentions of your heart. So I know you're going to sin worse against God, against me, God said, because I see the intentions of your heart. They were doomed to the actions and the intentions because they already had the actions and the intentions. But God would solve it. God would settle it. God had a plan all along. Jeremiah wrote it this way, 31, 33 to 34. He said, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again and each, each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. God was saying he would take care of it ultimately. They had already sinned against him. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. But the, and, the, and by the way, the wages of that sin is death, the separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ his Son. Recognizing that if, they, if in the moment they were in, they had recognized that they had already sinned against God and they were doomed to play the harlot, 
What would they do? Well, last week we talked about to repent and turn to God, right? And then what would they do the next week? Probably play the harlot. What they were being called to do was trust in the way that God would make. The way that God would make that he had not yet shown. That's how David was saved. That's how Noah was saved. That's how Enoch was saved. That's how Isaiah was saved, if he was. That's how Jeremiah was saved. All of those, They were all saved that way by trusting in the way that God would make. He said, I will atone. I will atone for my land and my people, God says. And Jeremiah understood that God was writing the truth of this whole thing on the hearts of people so that they could follow him in a new, new way, a, a consistent way, a faithful way. Hebrews 10, 11 to 18 says this, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, that means made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, listen, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. The author of Hebrews is quoting, is quoting Jeremiah, knowing that God had planned since the days of Moses the final check against playing the harlot. And he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. The final check against playing the harlot, which last week we kind of felt like maybe we were doomed to do if we didn't repent turn to God, but even that we were questioning whether or not we were capable. The final check is Jesus' sacrifice. It is Jesus as Lord and Savior and forgiveness that is available. It is him at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession so that even when we play the harlot, we have somebody to go, look, I screwed up. Can you get me off? I'm sorry. I confess this to you. I don't want to do it anymore. Can you get me off of these charges? And Jesus says, I got you. I paid for it on the cross. And that brings us to our conclusion. Moses assessed them saying that they would play the harlot because of their already actions. God assessed them as saying that they would play the harlot because he already knew the intentions of their heart. In this song, God is saying, among other things, that they could check the playing the harlot through faith in him by the asking and the tellings of the great works of God, by trusting that God alone is the only real God and that he regularly intervenes in the lives of men. And by fearing his retribution, both his miraculous retribution, God brings a sword of justice and one man can take on 10,000 of us, or by his built-in retribution where creation stands against those who practice injustice. And by ultimately believing in the way that God would reveal, which we now know is Jesus. Paul makes it clear that he understands this concept when he stands before the Areopagus, which is the big kind of like uh, Colosseum there outside of Athens, and they've asked him to come and talk because they were interested in what he had to say. And he teaches this as follows. He says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. 
because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Paul was saying, right where you are, you have a responsibility to turn to God, to do what's right. You can say, well, I can't. I've done so many wrong things. I can't. The intention of my heart is so bad. The checks are thus. Trust that God is real and regularly intervenes in men's lives. Trust that God will bring justice. He will bring injustice ultimately to an end. And trust in the way that God makes to atone for what you've already done wrong. Those are the checks that keep us from playing harlotry all the time, anytime. Previously, trusting in a way think that God would make was sufficient. That's, that's how they did it. It was before Jesus was named. It was before he was born there in Bethlehem. But they said, well, it's, it's sufficient. Somehow God's going to do something. And they were trusting. But they were still walking in sin or playing the harlot. But they were like, God's going to do something someday. And every time they came back and trusted in the way that God made, even though they couldn't name Jesus, so they came back. When David had that man killed because he took his wife, Right? Then came back to God and said, but God, I'm trusting in the way that you will make. Toward the end of his life, he was called a man after God's own heart. So you've screwed up. Big deal. We've all screwed up. It's a big deal only if you will not accept that God is real, regularly intervening in the, in the lives of men. That's called faith. And when you do that, a doorway opens, if you will, a pathway, a tunnel, through which the grace of God can then save you. Jeremiah said this, But this is the covenant which I will make with my house, speaking on behalf of God, of Israel. After those days, declared the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart. Is it there? Do you find it to be here? If wanting to do what God wants you to do is not a thing you find in yourself, you need to repent and turn to God through the way that he would make and that way is Jesus Christ. And following Jesus, say, okay, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And if I don't know better what to do, then at least I know what the word says and I'll have plenty to do for my whole life. By God's grace, grace through faith, we can know that he is real. We can stay the course and not play the harlot, recognizing our errors for what they are. Turn back to him and be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. You've got the ultimate defense attorney, the one who died for you, who also is the final check against us playing harlotry. And beginning today, if not before today, we are now free not to play the harlot, though we have been doomed previously to do so. Now we can live for him. I'm asking you to do nothing less. God is asking me to do nothing less than to play the harlot never. Seems tough because I've done things wrong before. Seems like I probably will again, I think. That's what I start to think. The intentions of my heart are I, I want more money by saving or by make it, getting a bargain or by earning more or somebody giving me more. I, I want more things that taste good, things that make me feel good. But by going after those Johnny-come-lately things, 
gods that you have not known. You dismiss all the checks that God has given us to ensure that we do not play the harlot. What would it look like if you let all of these checks work in your favor? And you got out of bed each morning going, you know what? Um, God is the only real God. And he is still to this day intervening in the lives of men. And I talk about how he has intervened in the lives of my church, how he's intervened in my life, how he's intervened in our lives. And I spend my time talking about that. And when I run into a little bump in the road or start to struggle, I ask myself, how has God intervened in my life previously? How do I know that I can trust him to do it again if a miracle or what I would call a miracle in my lack of faith is required? How do I know he'll show up and do it again because of what I've seen him do before, because of what I hear other believers say, because of what he does in worship, what he does in the word, what we know about him, and that is he is real and he is the only real God and he intervenes regularly in the lives of men. And he cannot be mocked. And if you cannot bring yourself to do what's right because you want right, you want good, you want good things for yourself, then bring yourself to do what's right because you fear God. Because fearing God is the beginning of wisdom and also wisdom. These are the checks. These are the checks that they, he went and taught to the young Israelites and to the entire congregation. So that down the road, when they started to drift into idolatry, they would have the exact tools necessary. Uh, but they don't use them. That's history as we know it. They drift into idolatry, some of them. And some of them are men after God's own heart. David, for example. Saul in his early days. Right? The prophets, many of them. But ultimately, the nation fails. Why would they worship Baal? Why would they dance around an Asherah pole? Why would they burn their children in the fires of Molech after mostly wiping out most of the people that did that? Because they forgot. Because they didn't honor the checks that God gave them. They thought, oh, yes, these other gods are kind of like our God. They're real too. No, they're not. The next time you really need to get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, or you don't know what to say to a family member who's going through a horrible time, or you're in a, a depression, or you're in a struggle anxiety, just cry out to Amazon, or cry out to Google, or cry out to Facebook, or cry out to chocolate cake. Just see if any of those things will take care of it. They won't. They can't. Only God can. Cry out to your employer. In some places, that's the same. Amazon and your employer, right? We've got people who work for Amazon in here. Cry out to your family members. Cry out to your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Cry out to your teachers and see if they'll fix all your problems. Will they solve the chemical imbalance in your brain? Will they heal your broken leg? Will they overcome your tragedies, your aches, your cancer diagnosis? Will they stop you from having pain on the verge of death? They can't do that. At best, they can give you brief temporal sustenance. Johnny-come-lately gods that look good, taste good, smell good, and then are gone after they've led you to the dark place from which you cannot return. Except you can return. Because if you're there now and you've heard this message, you have the final check. You can say, no, I will serve Jesus. I will let Jesus live through me. No matter what I go through, no matter when I get there or how bad it gets, I will let Jesus live through me. And he will keep you from playing the harlot.